Balance your trading strategy by adding futures. CME Group helps you manage risk and capture opportunities in all market environments. Capitalize on around-the-clock access to highly liquid global futures and options market across all major asset classes. Just visit your online broker and get started. Plug into valuable educational materials and trading tools and see what adding futures can do for you at cmegroup.com slash on the tape. Tuesday, August 1st, we are now firmly entrenched in the back half of 2023. This is Market Call, 1 p.m. on the East Coast, 10 a.m. on the West Coast, somewhere in the middle, in the middle of the country. Now I've offended most of you, if not all of you, but that's my want to do. This is Market Call, Dan Nathan. Today's Market Call brought to you by CME Group where risk meets opportunity. Of course, fact set financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow in just a few minutes, not butters, but Sean Ryan of fact set will be joining us. We're going to break down the banks. He's done some very uh, interesting work on the banks. We're going to talk about extensive that extensive work, extensive work. Uh, listen, How are you, Dan? Uh, good. By the way, major league <laughs> baseball trade deadline, some five hours away. Yeah. I haven't heard. I think the Giants of San Francisco made a couple of moves. I think the Yankees find themselves in a really odd position because they could be either a buyer or a seller. And quite frankly, it's a coin flip at this point. I mean, it's a disaster what's happening in the Bronx. How are you? How are you feeling about our little Wayne's World setup here? Like that we got. We have a new desk here. Yeah. That our Jacob put together. I don't know if Rafis helped him. No, no. And we have some lax bro that's have, hanging we out we with us now. We have a new intern who's not been helpful yet, but 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 will. No, be. but he can be. I like him. This is more fun. This is a, this is fun to be in person like this. IRL. Guy. Yeah, it's so. a nice desk. But listen, doesn't appear like a lot's going on. The S and P's down 14, 15 handles. But once again, it's not necessarily the broader market. It's some of the other things that are happening around the edges, as they say. It's going to be an interesting day because we're going to hear from AMD. We'll talk about that in a second. We obviously had some earnings last night, had some earnings this morning. This is a busy week. But what are you looking at the S&P here? Because, you know, 14 handles, not a big deal. It was really funny. So so yesterday, last night, I guess on Fast Money, which is on at 5 o'clock on CNBC, um, we were talking about how, uh, you know, it's funny. I left with like 10 minutes left in the close, um, you know, to go uh, head up to do the program. And in that time, I think the S&P rallied 15 handles. Ramp. Like in a straight line, which is really funny. So it's the last 10 minutes of the trading day on the last day of the month in july and some program goes in there and just rips them right up there and you know it's funny so like this morning we're down you know 30 handles or something we just rallied another 10 handles like off the lows the market just doesn't want to stay down and it's really interesting because you know we're getting to a point here where you know pretty soon a lot of investors a lot of strategists are going to be focusing on what is the 2024 earnings estimates right now i mean i think a lot of folks thought we'd be down let's say 10% you know like at the end of last year when the s&p was trading near its lows that's on an earnings basis mm-hmm. you know year over year right now it's expected to be flatish or so so i just don't know how we don't really have a meaningful earnings recession where we have year over year decline in earnings the s&p's up what close to 19 or so 19 and a half percent here guy i mean all of a sudden if everyone's gonna be focused on 2024 earnings 
with rates where they are, with the dollar coming. There's just so many cross currents. It's going to be a really hard one to figure out. I just don't know how we get out of this period without at least one bout of downward volatility of in the something. stock market. Right. And that's what Elizabeth Young has been talking about for a long time. I mean, she's been saying it for so months fun. that she's hard-pressed to believe by the end of this year we don't have something that happens that we're all obviously say that makes sense in retrospect. Just think we're going to get through this unscathed. And quite frankly, other than Silicon Valley Bank and maybe First Republic, this year has been pretty much unscathed, and we're in the beginning of August. So your point about earnings, I think it's the right one. Again, it's what's the right valuation in this environment. We're going to talk about banks. Credit, I think, is becoming a concern for some people, and earnings do matter. And you say all you want, Apple's going to be a big deal this week. I mean, just the magnitude of the stock and where it's trading in relation to its previous all-time high, which I think was around 176 or so, as opposed to Microsoft, which made pretty much a matched high from its 2021 November highs. That's going to be really interesting to watch. Yeah, and it's worth noting. I mean, you know, Microsoft, $2.5 trillion market cap, and, and the stock has sold off 10% from its highs July 18th when they announced some of the pricing for their AI tools, the Copilot um, suite of products uh, on Office. But, you know, when you think about Apple, again, it's a $3 trillion market cap trading very near all-time highs. Very different exposure than a Microsoft. Mm -hmm. You know, Microsoft's really talking about enterprise. It's talking about, obviously, you know, the, the strength of their cloud business and then, obviously, what they're going to be able to layer on as far as some of these um, AI tools. You know, Apple does not have any of that. Apple has a lot of Apple uh, uh, China exposure. Apple yeah. has a lot of consumer, consumer exposure. If you look at a lot of tech earnings so far, we know that PCs and smartphones are weak. Okay. So we also know that the quarter leading up to when Apple refreshes their smartphone, you know, seasonally is a weak quarter. So for me, what's most important about Apple is let's just say it comes in in line and they're able to guide in line or whatever, you know, they don't give such great guidance anymore. Then the question is how much does the stock sell off, right? If it's not a beaten raise, because I think investors have gotten to a point where they don't mind 30 times earnings for high single digits earnings and sales growth for a name that has the sort of stability, right? In, in, in I don't know. It's it's a tough one here, man. I mean, like I, I'm hard pressed unless this company guides down, which I think is, you know, in a material way, not that likely. I just don't see a big move out of the stock one way or another. Well, ask yourself at this point, post earnings, what are they going to say that's going to move the needle yeah. to the magnitude that it's been moved over the last couple of months? Again, I think hard pressed is the right expression and a 10% move ish to the downside gets you effectively back to that prior all time yeah. high. And that's not unreasonable. It's going to seem cataclysmic, but I don't think it what will was that be. Break out? It was like 184 or something. I think it was like more that. like whatever it was. I thought yeah, it was 176. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my my been, point yeah, is, yeah. you understand what I'm trying yeah. to say here. Let's look at S&P futures because we do uh, Tuesdays through the lens of futures. And again, we mentioned the fact that down 14 or so handles yeah. in the S&P, not a huge deal. That prior um, all-time high, the one that we broke through, 4350. retraced to and then took off from, I think is in play. And again, it's worth mentioning that each passing day, we get farther and farther away from the moving averages. So, at a certain point, you do see mean reversion in everything. And why should the S&P be impervious to that? Yeah, I guess the steepness of this last leg is, is the issue here, right? And if we're going to invoke our friend Carter Braxton Worth sure. of Worth Charting, I mean, the unchecked nature of it. And I like the fact that you talked a little bit about, you know, 4350, you had that August 2022 breakout level. It went up, you know, I don't know, 50, 75 handles in a straight line. Then it checked back. Checked back. And 
then it made that move, you know? So to me, I guess, as we get towards the end of earnings season, if we get, um, you know, the data, if the data continues, like, like we saw on Friday, the inflationary data, you know, that's the sort of thing that I think will squarely put the Fed as we get towards the end of August to Jackson Hole in a bit more of a, I don't know, it, like the less hawkish stance. Let's mm -hmm. just put it that way. And, we'll see. and so all supportive of equities, I guess. We talked to TRB. as the reform broker. That's what that stands Josh for? Josh Brown. So you, you don't say the TRB because that's what the T is for. That's what the T is for. Yeah. If you people out there, and I've said this before, there might be some new viewers or listeners. Yeah. If you're one of these people that says pin number, yeah. you can leave now. Yeah. You can just you, because the P personal identification and the N is for number. Right. Yeah. So when you say pin number, yeah. it's pin. Yeah. It's when you say what's your it's, pin it's number. Yeah. yeah, it's unnecessary. That's just a the more you know type of thing. Yeah. I mentioned the TRB because he's been bullish and correct, but even he in our conversation today said he's somewhat cautious now for, I don't want to say the foreseeable future, yeah. but given the run that a lot of these stocks have had, and you say it all the time, even if you're the most ardent bull, the best thing that can happen in this environment is to see some sort of pullback in the case of the NASDAQ, which will look at futures to that uptrend. And in the case of the S&P, back to that sort of 4350 yeah, level. Really funny. So pin number. And people also say ATM machine. I do neither. I I know, but like yeah. think about no, how attached those two acronyms yeah. are to each other. Those One would use an ATM card. That would be the proper use of ATM. But then an ATM machine. Yeah. And then the pin you would use to activate. What's your pin number? Yeah. You know what I feel like saying to people say that? I, oh, well, I can't well, say it. Can't say it. No, no say because it. No, our right. sponsors won't like it. No. But I'll maybe I'll put it on the Twitter offline. Well, that's or the in proper, the chat. That's the proper place for like something like really people. It's like what do you think pin stands? All right, let's for? look at the Nasdaq here because again, you Thank know, you. on Thursday after the close, we have four and a half trillion dollars of market yes, cap. Yes, that would be the Apple and the Amazon. Reporting. Huge, and don't discount the AMD by the way in terms of this whole. Well, we're going to do that. No, I know that, but I'm just saying. Yeah, that's important. But please continue. Yeah. So you know this Nasdaq move. I mean, like, like you had that breakout. It's just below fourteen thousand. That was the August twenty twenty two high. We got to. You see where we got to sixteen thousand. That was basically two thousand points on a fourteen thousand number in just a you know like an unabated rally there. And you know, listen, I, I get it. You know, like these top eight names make up you know fifty percent of the weight Amazing. of this index of one hundred stocks here. A lot of them have been driven by the same theme. I, I do think it's important to kind of you know x out Apple there. It's a very <laughs> different exposure than what Microsoft and Alphabet and Amazon, um, you know, and 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 the Nvidia are exposed to. I definitely think, guy, that Tesla, as it got kind of wrapped up, it got wrapped up into this AI sort of thing. A little bit. You think about what goes into their full self driving, whether or not they're actually or ever going to get there or ever going to get there in the next uh, few years or so. So a lot of those names have been, you know, participating in the same theme. If it runs out of steam. If Apple comes out disappointing and that starts to sort of take some of the wind out of the sails, the knock-on effect could be interesting. I mean, we obviously always talk about passive money. My concern for years has been, and sometimes it's founded, sometimes unfounded, but when passive becomes active, yeah. it's not active on the way up. And if people, you know, a lot of people, I don't think they realize, even if they don't own Apple, the stock, if they're in the market in some way, they probably own Apple, which is in probably over 500 or so ETFs and yeah. those types of things. So whether you realize it or not, you own it, which has been great until it's not. So let's just keep a close eye on that. And listen, let's look at the VIX, which 
sort of is poking its head up a little bit here, and rightly so, given all the things that are going on. But the VIX is important to look at, too, not to trade it, but just in terms of where people's heads are at right now, Dan. Yeah, and, you know, I guess people's heads, as, as it relates to volatility, have to do with, like, okay, where's the Fed in the rate hiking cycle? It looks to be near done. If we look at the CME Fed Watch tool, you know, the next meeting we have in September, you know, it's a um, very low probability of another hike. Okay, so we're getting a lot of strategists, a lot of economists come out and saying that that PCE data, so some, some of the inflation data yeah. we're getting, gives them um, total coverage to, to kind of skip the SEP meeting, we know that Jackson Hole, like the messaging there um, is going to be you know, important, but we're kind of at a point here where now we just got to focus back on corporate earnings. And, and, and it goes back to the fact that, you know, listen, the dollar coming in the way it has, inflationary inputs coming in the way they have, that's supportive of multinational earnings. We know that the multinationals make up a disproportionate amount of, you know, S&P earnings here. So that's one of the things that's keeping the market afloat and volatility suppressed. Makes sense. I mean, I totally get it. I think part of what's been going on as well, um, the complacency vis-a-vis -vis the VIX, I think more and more people, when you sell options, and that's been a winning strategy, you earn that premium. When you're getting paid to do it and take the risk, that's one thing. But each passing day, that thing gets more and more sort of, I'll use the term, coiled spring. You're yeah. pushing it against something. At a certain point, something breaks in the vaults. And you've seen volatility events uh, over the last couple of years, seemingly come out of nowhere. Yeah. All right, let's do it because I actually think this is a really important conversation. I'm glad we're doing it this stage of earnings season. We know that the banks kick off earnings season. That happened, I think, July 14th, where we had a bunch of the big money centers report. On that and the, Friday. And the tone was, you know, fairly good. It set the tone for what was ended up being a good period for some of the regional banks. We had an acquisition there. Well, JP Morgan, for example, you know, that we, and we'll talk to Sean about this, yeah. but. 138 level, that 135 level was critical yep. because a breakdown would have been this head and shoulders over the last four or five years. Doug Cass has pointed that out. The fact that it held and now is within a whisper yeah. of an all-time high is pretty, even by my standards, pretty impressive. All right, let's do it. Let's let's bring in Sean Ryan. He's the VP Associate Director for the Financial Sector at FactSet, which is our fine sponsor. Um, we get Sean, um, I think once a quarter, he pops on. Whenever Sean wants to come on, Income. He's got like what do they call an invitation? Well, you call it an open invitation. Sean, welcome back to the market call, and and uh, you got you have a report out, and, and it's actually, you know, it, it's like encompassing a lot of the themes that we like to talk about on this program. We want to talk about earnings. We want to talk about the tone that was set by the U.S. banks. We want to talk about the crisis that appears to be averted. You have some some focus on credit and, and, and what might happen here. But let's talk about your takeaway a little bit from Q2. Let's talk about the big banks. Let's talk about the regionals. What was your takeaway? And here we are, as guys started the show saying we're firmly in the second half of the year. A lot of folks thought that maybe what happened in March and April was maybe the first or second inning of a broader sort of crisis as it relates to banks, but it doesn't feel that way at the moment. So Welcome and give us a sense for where you think we are as given all the you know volatility that we had a few months ago and it seems like it's all abated. Sure, thanks for having me back. Um, yeah, I think, uh, you know, as you say, you know, we, we've just come through a, a pretty good earnings season, all, all things considered. Um, you know, PacWest, which was sort of the, the, the sickest bank that made it through, um, has, you know, been acquired. And so that situation is, is resolved without government assistance. Um, you know, earnings themselves were, were really on balance pretty good. Um, and, and so it's kind of a curious situation. You know, we, we had, 
you know, what happened in, in March and April. And, uh, you know, the liquidity situation is mostly um, in abeyance. I mean, are, you're still you're still having a lot of, uh, of elevated balances of uh, wholesale funding from the Fed in the banking system, still at about a hundred billion dollar level where it was de minimis uh, coming into to March. And it'd be good to see that start trending down, but at least it's leveled off. And um, so, so that seems to be OK. But, you know, we're still having some pressure on margins from the interest rate environment, and that's going to continue for a while. But the big issue, the big question mark is still credit. And it hasn't, you know, bitten this quarter. But I think there's still a, a realization. There's sort of this tension because we know we had a good result in the second quarter. But, you know, like we're at the point in the movie where we know that shark is out there in the water. We don't yeah. know where it's going to attack. We don't know with what ferocity, but we know it's out there. Uh, and, and then you had Sluice come out yesterday afternoon and you know, Sluice is like the guy in the room saying, you're going to need a bigger boat. I like that. He's dropping some jaws shit. Robert as Sean, well, as Sean knows, as I've mentioned on this show numerous times, the star of that movie was not the shark. The star of that movie was not uh, Richard, uh, Richard Dreyfus. The star of that movie was not Martin Brody. Or Roy Scheider. Or Roy Scheider. The star of that movie was Robert Shaw, who played Quint. Nice. And by the way, the genius of that movie, they sort of happenstanced upon it because the shark didn't work. So you were introduced to the shark probably midway through the movie. So to Sean's point, you knew it was there, but you didn't see it, which made that shit even scarier. So here's my question to you, Sean. Not only are you seeing tighter credit, but we're seeing weaker demand as well, which is sort of a bit of a uh, double whammy, as they say, as I might say, Sean, a witch's brew. Speak to that. Yeah, you know, this is a really remarkable indicator. You know, we're, we're seeing um, not only tightening of credit standards and, and, and falling loan demand, but, you know, you're seeing the breadth of this across the loan officer surveyed that you really have only ever seen historically at times of recession or financial crisis. Now, you know, when you're looking at, at uh, any kind of trend across cycles, you're, you're dealing with sort of a a, a small sample size, right? So, you know, inevitably there, there will come a day where, you know, we, we get a false positive. But for 50 years, the Fed's done this survey every quarter and we've never had a false positive yet. So it, it, it's pretty ominous. All right. So, Sean, talk to us a little bit about um, this, this 210 inversion. Uh, you know, Guy and I talk about a lot, a lot of strategists, a lot of investors are out there talking about it. There's near certainty that, you know, when you every recession is preceded by that inversion, especially one as long as this. But it doesn't mean that every, uh, you know, every inversion leads to a recession, you know. It seems like almost every market participant was convinced, right, that we were going to have a recession at some point in 2023. That's when the markets was at the lows late last year. That's obviously been pushed off a good bit here. And if you look at the City Surprise Index, it's making new 52-week highs here. What does this inversion mean um, just for, like, the economy? You talked about the infusion that we saw, you know, back during the regional banking crisis. Um, did all of that just kind of push things out? Is it different this time? How are you thinking about the 210 spread and the inversion and the length of it? Well, you know, I, obviously, I mean, the, the, the severity of it is pretty striking. I, I think, you know, from my perspective, I look at it through the, the, the banking lens and there, I mean, it, it just makes the, the, the bank's ability to sort of, you know, borrow short and lend long, which is sort of the, the, the core of that business, uh, a very difficult, and much less profitable proposition. And, and so it's just one more thing kind of impeding the, the free flow of credit that we've been used to. It's, it's just one more thing inhibiting, uh, you know, loan creation. And some of the things that we talk about, and we don't have to drill down too far, but 
it's not the inversion that scares people, although that is scary. It's when things start to, I guess, re-steep in the other way is when you have to be worried. And we might be on the precipice of that because I'm going to mention now 10-year yields are above that 4% and meaningfully above 4%, at least for today. And a lot of times you could construe that as a good thing because theoretically it should mean we're starting to see re a rebirth of economic growth. But in this case, I don't think that's necessarily what's going on. So should I be concerned the 10-year yields are basically going higher again? Well, I mean, from my perspective, uh, yeah. I mean, it, it, again, this is it's kind of ominous. I mean, it, it's, it's hard to have a lot of conviction. I mean, you know, I, I think, um, you know, certainly, as you note, I mean, recession concerns, at least in the near term, have abated quite a lot. Um, and, you know, I think one of the interesting things about earnings season that we came through is, you know, even at the large investment banks, you know, where like historically investment banks have, you know, gone kind of pedal to the middle through the boom years, then they just really slam on the brakes and, and lay people off en masse. And we haven't been seeing that, right? You've seen layoffs spreading, but they're fairly small layoffs and, and they've been continuing to even uh, engage in targeted hiring, right? So, um, you know, they're really hedging their bets. Uh, so, you know, it's, uh, you know, I, Called it the William Butler Yates market. You know the, the best lack all conviction. It, it, and, you know, so you know people really just need to to hedge their bets. I don't, while it is a the, the movement in the ten year is a worry, but again, even even with what we're seeing in the sluice, um, you know, yeah, if there's going to be some time where it's giving a false positive, well, maybe this is that cycle. So, so um, Sean, do you have any focus, at least as far as what you saw out of the, the large money center banks versus some of the regionals here? Um, how are you thinking about investors who are looking to be opportunistic? Again, I, we know that kind of some of the regionals and their exposure and and um, to commercial real estate and and some credit issues. Um, obviously, the large money center banks um, have the issue with the net interest margin, right? Like that's a bigger contributor. How should investors think about this who who want to be opportunistic? Who maybe like in April in May weren't picking at some of these names you know what I mean but like mm -hmm. do, do you want to do you want to have a focus um you know one versus the other is there a valuation focus is there um you know when when we do see a re-steepening is there one place you'd rather be just give us a sense of where you think some investors who want to focus on the space could be opportunistic sure well you know I I think from a when you look at what happened in the spring right you had this sort of narrative come out of it that uh you know deposits are flowing out of small and mid-sized banks and they're all fleeing to the too big to fail banks. And if you look at what happened in the second quarter, the, the data simply doesn't bear that out. Um, you know, deposits en masse continue to bleed out of the banking system just because of uh, cash sorting, you know, given, you know, the normalization of the rate environment. But um, from a, you know, small versus large bank perspective, um, small banks are actually outperforming and large banks generally are below the median in terms of, uh, both overall deposits and the most valuable deposits, the non-interest bearing deposits, the free money, the most valuable thing on most banks' balance sheets, um, you know, the large banks are, are you know, losing more than, than the smaller banks. The only bank that was the exception was J.P. Morgan, but that's because you had, you had the First Republic transaction in, in the quarter to kind of skew those numbers a little bit. And, and so I think, you know, from, from that perspective, uh, the smaller banks um, have been, you know, a little unfairly maligned. Um, and then from a credit perspective, you know, commercial real estate is properly, a, you know, a focus of, of concern. But um, you know, even though commercial real estate takes up a larger share of small bank balance sheets compared to, to money center balance sheets, uh, there, you know, 
you, you know, you're dealing with, you know, it's the difference between being exposed to office buildings in a central business district versus, you know, two-story buildings with, you know, dentists and accountants, um, you know, in, in a smaller town. And so, you know, you're going to have a lot of variance and some small banks will certainly manage to blow themselves up with commercial real estate. But, uh, you know, you're going to have a lot of banks, I think, you know, on the smaller side that do remarkably well in terms of their, their commercial real estate exposure. Essentially, before we let you go, I, you know, and I'm not asking you to trade the HYG, but to me, and I'm interested in your thoughts, credit typically leads equities and credit through the lens of the HYG has been going nowhere now for the last four or five months. But we'll put up a couple charts that might indicate something's about to give. Am I right to think of it through that lens? Like if credit starts to break, that might be the first sign that there's some more nefarious things at work here. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Uh, you know, cre credit spreads are, are, are going to tell us a lot. You know, I, 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 I'm just an equity simpleton. And, you know, when, when, the, uh, when, when the fixed income guys and I disagree, I, I know they're usually right. Yeah, no, it's interesting. It's one that guy tracks here. And if you look at kind of, you can look at some of the, 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 um, the some of the holdings in that, um, you know, it's not exactly, it's, it's, you know, it's pretty diversified ish, if you will, guys. So it like kind of serves as kind of like a, a barometer a little bit, but it's not something that has had too many big moves. I guess if you back it out though, on a five-year basis, I think this is kind of interesting. If you go and look at how hard it got hit in the throes mm -hmm. of the pandemic, um, you know, it hasn't really recovered a whole heck of a lot, right? So it's it's been kind of consolidating. It's making this little bit of a pennant. And I think to your point, it does look from a purely technical standpoint that it's going to break one way or another. It's getting coiled in there. And so I think it is really important to keep an eye on because if it were to break lower or higher, it might give us a sense for what the next big move is. Yeah, and is. I think you know where I think it's going to break. I mean, I, I've thought it for a while, and the fact that we've been as stable as we have, I guess it's a good thing, but I'm just wondering, again, we talk about the inevitabilities of a lot of these things. Yeah. You know, my sense is there is an inevitability, given everything that Sean just talked about, commercial real estate market, everything's seemingly coming to a head now, especially if we're going to see this re-steepening of the yield curve, potentially 10-year yields going higher. I think the market's going to start to pick up on that We'll see. But, th Sean, obviously, thanks for joining us. We appreciate it. Really appreciate well, thanks it. Thanks for being back. Great thanks, to talk bud. to you. We'll see you soon. Thanks. Uh, I didn't make any no, jokes about uh, that Jack Ryan no. and uh, Patriot Games yeah, and all that stuff. You did that last time. Yeah, and you said and not I, to do it. Well, I think a lot of our friends who watch the program probably remember it from last time. So it just seemed a little redundant. Um, that's because all. And, and if I'm actually, anything, I'm redundant. Yeah. I mean, uh, some of the gags have, over time, maybe they're funny the first time. Then two through nine, they're not. But ten through yeah. one hundred and seventeen, it's yeah, effing hysterical. Hey, let's 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 talk a little bit about that ten year. Maybe they, they could pull up a ten year chart. This is because, important because I, I I actually I, I'm 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 glad you brought this up because you know and you've said this and I, I go back to two thousand and eighteen. You know when yields started rising when the Fed was raising interest rates, we were like, listen, this is a healthy thing. They should normalize interest rates. Inflation was still fairly low, right? Like um, we just were coming off a year of the tax cuts. There was a lot of like stimulus, like still kind of in the economy, right? Risk assets were kind of inflating. So the point is, if rates are going up and stocks are also going up, um, that's not a horrible sort of thing, right? Having an economy and a market that can deal with higher rates, and so. Here we are now. I mean, guy, maybe, maybe the inflation, you know, the coming down hard enough, and maybe the recession's yeah. been pushed out. I'm just kind of, and and so maybe, maybe the ten year deserves to be at that's, 4 percent. That's a hundred percent the bull case. A hundred percent. Well, just and you know, there, I've been long the TLT, and, and there's wrong a, and there's late. a chance of that. Ha there's absolute chance. I just.
just don't think that's what's going on here. Yeah. I mean, but again, I'm not suggesting I'm right. I mean, you can, what great thing about markets is a hundred people can look at the same chart, yeah. the same data and come to effectively a hundred different conclusions along the spectrum of bearish to bullish. And that's why things move. You know, when we talk about things being priced into the market and then the next day something moves 12, 13%, clearly it was not priced into the market. So I guess my point is, as efficient as we think things are, the markets are not nearly as efficient as we like to think they yeah. are. Yeah, let's talk about, uh, before we get to some single names, because obviously um, we want to talk about some of the big movers on earnings um, just today, and we want to look at AMD after the close and the semis. Um, I think this is going to be a really important sector. I know that you also agreed. Let, let's look a little bit about some of these inflationary inputs, though, right at a time where we're getting weaker readings, yeah. right? We're also seeing the move in crude oil. You've had a nice call here. Um, look at this thing, guy. It's getting back, the crude oil futures to that um high from just a few months yeah. ago here is that resistance that you think it kind of gets rejected at or is there enough going on as far as demand and again this kind of flies in the face in the fact that you think you think that the economy is probably going to yeah. start to weaken a little bit can crude oil have a technical breakout with a backdrop of weak economic you know demand we know that china's pretty weak we know europe's pretty weak I think so. I think the answer is yes. And in the same way that these home builder stocks have sort of defied logic in terms of their moves, if you think the economy is weaker, which I do, it would stand to reason that these stocks, home builder stocks, would do poorly. We have pointed out for the better part of a year and a half now how home builder stocks are actually pretty attractive. And all three of them, until recently, are making all time highs. But going back to crude, you're at pre COVID levels in terms of demand. There's still a supply problem. So the China situation, I think, has been more than priced in. And I do think if you look at this chart, we're going to stop here because that's where resistance was a few months ago. But I do think as you start to flatten out the moving averages and as these moving averages potentially start to turn higher, I think you're going to see this reacceleration of the underlying commodity. By the way, you've already seen it in gasoline which is actually making a 52-week high. So crude is actually lagged here in the energy space. Yeah, all right. Let's look at gold here because the future is... Um, not a good day uh, today. No, not a good day. 1,900 guy, that was the level it bounced off of late June. Okay, I think that's kind of an interesting level or so. And if you were to just kind of take your eyes and draw a, a kind of uptrend from those lows from, I think, late last year, and you're going to connect it to you know that kind of low from earlier this year, you know, you have a situation where this thing is you know, kind of breaking down at least. Yeah. So, you know what I mean? I'm just saying if you're just going to look at it on a one-year basis. So 1,900, a test of that would be really important. When it gets there, do you want to take a shot there? Because I know that you want to be – you buy gold on pullbacks and, you know, using futures. You can kind of – even if you wanted to buy here, you could set a 1,900 stop Now, or that's like the right that. question because the, the, the obvious answer would be yes. But the problem, of course, is if you look at even a longer-term chart, I don't know if Jacob can pull it up, the fact that, again, once again, we pushed towards those levels we saw a couple of years ago, seemingly have failed. Yep. The next time down, you know, maybe you're not going to have that embedded support. And maybe, you know, you do break through the downside. Again, I don't think that's going to happen. But to answer it honestly, you know, if we start to falter here, if the weakness continues, and again, 24 hours is not a day make, as I say, that's going to be problematic to this bull case because you look at this chart and say, how can you buy that chart with all those tops staring you in the face? Right. So, and again, I mean, you could look at it another way. You could say it's making a little bit of a flag. It's just yeah. consolidating in and it's around not a, here. It's not a hungry, what is that thing? It's not a hungry alligator. 
I saw a video of some guy feeding like crocodiles and shit. I mean, what do people think is going to happen? Lay down in Florida? Yeah, what, you know, seriously, what do you think is going to happen? You like that Florida man meme that, that exists on the internet? You know what I mean? Like, they, they take the dumbest thing that happened in and Florida. Florida and the, I mean, the things that they do are just crazy. Well, I'm you know sure we I mean? have audience members like, from Florida. Nah, Identify yourselves if you're nah, from nah, Florida. fine. Um, you know, I, I, listen, I just say this lastly, if we could just pull up that longer-term chart of gold again. I mean, if you look at that, um, it looks like near-perfect triple top there yeah. okay so if we do break that 1900 to the downside i mean 1800 is the next level and then you got 1600 down there i mean like and so how could that happen okay so maybe if the dollar like a, like a move higher right in the dollar that might be something that um could cause that to move um but like to me right now the dixies had this huge move yeah lower um for so for gold to work again don't you have to see the dixie break 100 right, so maybe they can pull that you up. need listen for it to work again dollar index the dollar obviously you don't want it as a headwind it would be helpful without a tailwind but the gold story to me is not the, it's not a prototypical dollar story at this point dollar is going to affect it but it's not going to stop it and it's not going to guide it either way the gold story is a gold story in and of itself we talked about central banks for the longest time it would be helpful if you saw a weaker dollar but i don't think it's predicated on a weaker dollar okay um all right let's talk about some earnings um let, let's hit some like this move in caterpillar is pretty astounding yeah. this is a new, new all-time all, high new all-time high for, what is it about you um, you know, and I was going to say, you know, remember like 23 years ago when internet stocks were all the rage? They, yeah, I was they, never. Anything that was not an internet stock was called an old economy stock. You remember that? Yeah, we used to call it uh, the Rust Belt stocks. Okay, yeah. so now what would they Rust be called? Rusty America. 20, 23 years later, like what is Caterpillar? Because it's, it's still the it, same thing. It's still Well, you know, people will say that it's interesting because everybody talks about how these companies have gotten up to speed in terms of their technology and stuff. Yeah. And that's why maybe they deserve a higher valuation. The reality is, they're making the same shit they made make now as they made 25 years ago. A little bit better, but the yeah, same stuff. It does the same better. things. But that flies in the face of, again, it's interesting, as I'm saying, potentially a slowdown here in the United States, China slowing down. Caterpillar tells an entirely different story when you have it's just Caterpillar specific, though. And in terms of some of the things we talk about, construction and home building, it, it all plays into it. So yeah, Caterpillar sort of the this, fly in the ointment of a weaker economy. So this is really an interesting name to talk about here because if again if we're going to look at 2024 um estimates earnings are expected to grow three hold on a second year eric year. lancelotti i'm I'm sorry dan yeah. gonna go out on a limb here and say the longest time is not g swiss favorite billy song that is such a shitty song oh my god that is a shitty song it's amazing how <laughs> a hall of fame a legend like billy joel or bruce springsteen yeah. can have some of the greatest songs ever they have a lot of songs and some of the shittiest They're songs not all ever. Be great. No, like that song about the the irons, this the Steel City, oh, Allentown. Oh, oh, oh my! Well, you know God. it's interesting. So, so Billy Joel has a song <laughs> Awful. called Allentown. It was a big hit on MTV when it came out in the eighties. Yeah, okay? that speaks. Bruce when, Springsteen. Bruce Springsteen in the nineties had a song called Youngstown. Yeah, Lot, lots of lots, Towns. and that was that, that was that was a very depressing song. All right, let's go back to sorry Kat. about that. Let's but go back uh, to Eric, Kat here for a second. So, so look. Low single digits expected earnings and sales growth. Stock just broke out to a new all-time high here. Interestingly, though, Sky, uh, it, it trades 15 and a half times. Okay? Yeah. So so it's trading well below the S&P. Which it does historically. Multiple, which is yeah. 19 times. That's per fact set, which is mm -hmm. above the five and 10-year average, which I think is, you know, 
you know, 18 and a half and 17 and a half respectively. Our main man, John Butters, puts that out in his earnings insight blog every Friday morning. We get a preview of a guy. What day did we get a preview of Butters' work? I like this Brian Harris. They make the same stuff they made 25 years ago. Wake up guy. I mean, that is funny. I think you get my point there, Brian. We, anyway, we get it. So, so, so this thing's—it's a cheap stock relative to the market. <laughs> it so, is cheap relative so to the market. It's I also high. It's very cyclical name as well. Correct. So, if, that's you know, why it trades at that. Discount. Yeah, and if and think about it, I mean, this could be that potential blow off top in a name like Caterpillar. Carter Worth, by the way, a couple of weeks ago actually was very bullish yep. in the Caterpillar, if memory serves, on this show. All right, let's talk about another name that's moving the opposite way after its earnings, and this would be Uber, guy. And Uber was trading, I think, north of 50, okay, after these results came out. Um, and gap, the guide that they gap gave. Gap positive for the first time. Yeah, so I, I think this is important. You know, Dara Karasari, you know, took over a few years ago. Um, he guided to some profitability targets, that sort of thing. And he's really done, a, I think, a very good job. I think you and I were probably fairly skeptical at the time about rideshare. Um, they were fairly well exposed to different geographies that were having different reopening schedules as it related to COVID. They spent a lot of money moving into delivery. We thought maybe there was a big pull forward, you know, given what um you know was the dynamics of the pandemic and then maybe you would see a move to greater ride share less delivery well the stock has had a heck of a move yeah. and for whatever reason investors aren't buying it here you know the stock i think they lost you know four and a half dollars last year expected to make maybe 50 cents 55 cents on adjusted basis trades at you know a pretty high multiple what do you do with a stock like this here, well when man? you see a reversal like this given the run that it's had it's basically clearly a but you know buy the rumor in terms of or buy in earnings sell the news type of yeah. event and you know if this sell-off continues you know you're going to break down through a pretty decent uptrend line we've had for a couple i wouldn't want to say a couple months yeah. here and you know, the fact that we trade again when you talk about standard deviations away from the moving average this has been a mean reversion stock as well historically. So I'm not saying it's going there tomorrow, but today is one of those days you have to bookmark for sure because the reversal on earnings is pretty significant. All right. Name that's reporting after the close, which I think you and I are both really focused on because semis have been, you know, at the kind of center mm -hmm. of this kind of AI movement. There's not too many pure play ways to kind of play this secular shift. One of them, the, the clearest one, the one that's probably gained the most market cap um, has been NVIDIA. Okay, they make graphic processor units that go into the supercomputers, that go into the data centers that, um, it, you know, basically enable a lot of the compute for these large language models, these generative AI models, that sort of thing. AMD reports tonight after the close, implied move in either direction, about 6.5%, guy. This stock... You know, and, and again, you've detailed this on Market Call many times. Um, not a great quarter, not a great guide last, last quarter, time. Yep. Got um, uh, a little, you know, it was trading 80. Uh, it went to, what, 130 um, after Microsoft and, and then supposedly made some sort of partnership to kind of help them make some GPUs that would go, um, you know, to, to kind of help alleviate some of the kind of supply issues here. Um, what do you do with this name? Because the stock was down 9% guy after they guided last quarter. Um, and then it rallied and blew through those levels. It's come in a little bit from those lows yeah. here, trades at a much better valuation than NVIDIA. But for all intents and purposes, they don't have the chips, they don't have the quality of the technology, and they don't have the deals right now. Well, the good news is we'll be back again tomorrow. So if I'm wrong, we'll talk about it. But what I'll say is go back and just before, you have a few hours now before they report, go back and look at the last quarter. As Dan said, the stock closed that day, I think it was May 4th at 89 bucks. Uh, they reported their quarter. They made some commentary. Stock went down 
and it didn't snap back that night. It was actually 24 hours or so later when this Microsoft partnering with uh, AMD to take on NVIDIA, I can remember the headlines, that's what got the stock off to the races, coupled with the fact that AI became the rage, everything started to go parabolic. AMD went from 80 to 135, more than a, almost a 65% move, yep. which was only really on the back of multiple expansion. It had nothing to do with the fundamentals whatsoever, which is fine if you long the stock, but understand that there was something happening there much greater than the business itself. So I don't necessarily think anything changed over the course of a quarter. The only thing changed is the price. So that, what did you say, a 6% move or so? 6.5%. Yeah, I mean, you know, you could get back down to that trend line, still be in an uptrend um, with a disappointing quarter, and the stock still be intact in terms of this uptrend we're in. So it's interesting. If you look at the one-year chart, you look at that gap in late May, and that had to do with some of the announcements. The NVIDIA was up Mm -hmm. in sympathy with that, and then, you know, the uh, Microsoft sort of news. Well, it came back to that kind of 110 level. It's kind of held there. It's interesting on a day like today where you're seeing – the NASDAQ um, down, and you're seeing the SMH, the ETF that tracks the semiconductor sector, um, also down. The stock rallying, you know, 2% into its print tonight. So I always, you know, again, that doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean like somebody mm-hmm. knows something or anything like that. But that kind of gap fill, it did what it needed to do. If they are able to come in line and guide higher and speak about demand for their, uh, you know, GPUs and uh, yeah. like, listen, Stock's going to go back to 130, guy. I mean, yeah. like, 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 make no mistake about it. Just on a valuation basis relative to NVIDIA, I think NVIDIA has become a very, very crowded trade. Now, all that being said, if we go back a few weeks and listen to what Taiwan Semi said about areas away from AI, okay, again, this goes back to PCs, it goes to data center, it goes to smartphones. It's not really robust right now, right? And AMD has a lot of exposure in those other places. So if they are not able to guide up on AI and it doesn't offset the weakness in some of those other end markets, then I think you see a stock headed back towards 100. And if it gets there, it will be still holding an uptrend line, and that might be a good entry point. And if you get that move to the upside, and if you're not long it, you say, okay, I missed it, and I'll wait for my opportunity. Because that's the way I'd rather try to buy this stock, you know, getting back down to the uptrend line than buy it here, looking at a coin flip and see what happens post-earnings. Yeah, and I think we're at a point in this rally um, where it really, again, I think we just said this a little bit ago, it's going to come down to earnings now. The Fed's kind of out of the way here. Some of the worst of the kind of economic readings that we were kind of most focused on for the better part of the last 12 years have basically moderated considerably. And now how are companies dealing with a more, I I guess, sustainable or, you know, like like, like an environment where it's a bit more predictable, if Mm -hmm. that makes sense okay and then the other issue is going to be what do these companies what sort of ability do they have to kind of continue because you've said this on numerous occasions these companies have been taking price there right they had pricing power here they did it okay at some point if we start to see margins moderate in a lot of different sectors especially some of the more cyclical ones that's when you will see multiple compression and that by the way coupled with margin compression which we're starting to see that's not particularly good. And if you start to see, you started the show by talking about an earnings recession, yeah. then you have the entire the earnings recession that really didn't happen. Yes. Yeah. Well, it happened last year. I mean, and, and so, yes. the, so last year, the stock market being down with the earnings recession in 2022, it obviously lined up with discounting what was going to happen in 2023, where earnings didn't basically, the earnings recession wasn't a year long guy. You know what I mean? It was a couple of quarters long. So 
I said, don't know. By man. the way, I'm monitoring. I've been monitoring the uh, M- no, no. M- Major League Baseball. And I haven't seen anything out of the Yankees yet. Is now 143. Yeah. So they have approximately I don't know, a little over four How do hours. You not have a line into the Yankees. You're like I don't know. Number, I don't. Well, you're like number one fan. I'm not here. the number one. fan. They're bigger Yankee fans than G Swizzle. I'm a huge Yankee. I fan. saw you at a Yankee fan, a uh, Yankee game. In what May, was I wearing? One. You were no, no. That was last year. You were wearing a sport jacket. Sure, I was. This year, you were not. This year, weekend. you were wearing. I think it was a weekend. Yeah, you were wearing like a golf vest. You looked like a golfer. Mm. Yeah. But that's it for today's market call. CME Group, where risk meets opportunity. And of course, facts that we'll be here tomorrow with the great Carter Braxton Worth. Uh-huh.